Welcome to Hopecast, the podcast making suicide a part of the everyday conversation. My name is Lauren and I'm the host of Hopecast. Hi, I'm I'm Helen. I work as an advisor on Hopeline UK and I'm co-hosting this episode of Hopecast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at bereavement by suicide. It's recently been Survivors of Suicide Loss Day on the 19th of November, a significant calendar date that many of us haven't heard of before. It is a a date that many of us haven't heard of before, but it also gives us the opportunity to reflect. Um, I've got lived experience of being bereaved by suicide and although it is something that doesn't leave you, I think that a date like this gives us an opportunity to have those difficult conversations and start the conversation around being bereaved by suicide. It does, it really gets you thinking about it, even if you haven't got that personal connection. It is a time where you can reflect and think about somebody you might know who's been bereaved by suicide. We know that those who are bereaved by suicide are more likely to experience suicidal thoughts themselves, and not a lot of people are aware of that figure as well, are they, Helen? They're not, and I think for those who have been um, bereaved or impacted by the loss of someone to suicide, those statistics can be really difficult to hear but what it does is it allows us to open up that conversation so that we've got the opportunity to support those who may be struggling with thoughts of suicide and having conversations like this really allow us to think more about the organisations like Hopeline and Papyrus that can provide that that support. It really does and suicide, not a lot of people realise this figure as well but suicide is unfortunately the biggest killer of anybody aged 35 and under in the UK but it's still such a taboo subject that people shy away from so positively from days like Suicide as Survivors Lost Day and making suicide a part of that everyday conversation, it helps break that taboo and stigma, it makes it okay for people to reach out for support and break that stigma around talking about suicide. Welcome to our brand new segment, Myth Busting. There are lots of myths around suicide and the aim of this section is to dispel some of those myths. Today's myth we are going to explore is a really important one to talk about as it's often a barrier to speaking to someone about suicide. Asking if somebody is suicidal can put the idea into their head. Am I putting that idea in their head when they haven't necessarily thought that way? If you've already got an indication that somebody is struggling or you're worried about them or it looks like they're finding life difficult right now, if they have already um, experienced suicidal thoughts, then you're not going to put the idea into their head. Um, It's something that we hear a lot on Hopeline UK. I think that for a lot of people, they're, you know, really worried about asking somebody whether they're experiencing thoughts of suicide. Firstly, because like you say, they're worried about putting that idea into the head if it's not already there, which we know you can't do. But the other thing is sometimes people are not really sure what they're going to do with the answer. I think sometimes people feel a little bit embarrassed in case that what if that person says no. Um, But what we know is that if somebody is already struggling with thoughts of suicide, there is often um, a great relief to actually be able to have that conversation. It's not always it's not always possible for someone to initiate that conversation. So if we're worried about somebody If we can ask them directly whether they are experiencing suicidal thought, it can be a really great opportunity to start that conversation. And although that conversation might not still might not seem very easy to have, um, if we can do what we can to create those opportunities by asking that question, 
we've got the opportunity to to support having the courage to ask that question and say are you thinking about suicide even if the answer is no I'm not thinking about suicide or I'm, I'm not feeling that way it's just by saying it so calmly it's breaking that taboo around it and it's breaking that it, it's almost say by saying that's that sentence even if the answer is no yeah it's okay to tell me if you're feeling that way we can we can help so I think that's that's a really important point as well the important thing is like you say, it's asking that question regardless of the answer. We know that thoughts of suicide are actually really common. Even if that person isn't experiencing suicidal thoughts at the at the point when you ask them, they know that actually if they ever are, they can come back to you. And quite often that does happen. We don't know when someone might experience suicidal thoughts in the future. So we can only ask them that question now. But in asking them that question it is opening up that conversation. Um, it is breaking that 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 stigma and the taboo that still exists it's all about breaking that taboo but for a lot of communities and young people it still very much is a taboo and a lot of families are scared to have that conversation so I feel like even if it's a teacher a friend or someone a trusted someone you can you can have that conversation with it's all about breaking those barriers down it is. And part of that is naming the word suicide. Sometimes people do want to ask whether someone's experiencing suicidal thoughts, but they won't want to name the word suicide. So that can be where things can be a little bit confusing sometimes because people may ask if somebody's experiencing dark thoughts or they're not thinking about doing anything silly. Um, we we say that part of asking that question is being clear and being direct and not being afraid to say the word suicide because there's no room for ambiguity in asking that question it needs to be clear it needs to be direct that person needs to know that it's okay to talk about their suicidal thoughts I think going back to the question it's having the courage to ask it as well it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to plant the idea in someone's head it's just safely having that conversation and it you know it's the same as um thinking that if you're not already feeling suicidal or if you're not already experiencing sort thoughts of suicide, being asked that question isn't going to put those thoughts in your head. If you are worried about somebody and um, if you've noticed any changes in them that mean that you're concerned that they might be experiencing thoughts of suicide and you're not quite sure either how to ask the question or what to do with the answer, please pick up the phone and call us on Hopeline UK. Um, the number's 0800 068 4141 and ask us um, any questions that you might have that will help you to, to confidently um, begin that conversation. We're so pleased to be joined today by one of our wonderful Papyrus trustees, Sarah Fitchett, who sadly lost her 14-year-old son, Ben, to suicide in 2013. But speaking to us today, Sarah will give us a real insight into how her bereavement has impacted her. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Sarah. Sarah has recently been awarded Rochdale's Woman of the Year back in May for her work supporting prevention of young suicide. And Sarah is also a registered general nurse with 25 years experience. She's worked as a neonatal nurse for over the last 17 years prior to moving to the University of Salford, where she is now a neonatal lecturer in the midwifery team. Welcome to Hopecast, Sarah. It's really great to have you with us today. Oh, thanks. It's really nice to have been invited to come and join you in this important conversation. And it's it's a really important conversation that we're having today, talking about being bereaved by suicide and what to say to someone who's been bereaved by suicide. It's really important that we have this conversation today. I, I agree with that, actually. I think people do try to avoid 
you when you've been bereaved by suicide to think they're a bit unsure about what they're actually going to say to you or that they're going to upset you. Um, and I suppose that's, you know, some it's important to have that conversation around how you can speak to somebody that is bereaved. And I think it's really helpful to to have your lived experience and so that we can we can open up those conversations you know they are really difficult conversations to to have so thank you so much for for joining us today it's, it, yeah I, I agree um with you Helen there as well and I think if we continue to have these conversations and make sort of suicide normal within everyday conversations I think we'll be starting to sort of reassure people that they they won't make suicide happen just because we're talking about it and that you know if we normalize it within a community people will start to feel more comfortable about talking about being bereaved by suicide and hopefully we'll continue to sort of reduce that stigma around it because I think there's nothing worse than being bereaved by suicide as a family but I think then it's worse if people then avoid you and don't want to have that conversation with you and I think you know it is a real challenge as as the person bereaved you know but I can totally understand that as the person who is your friend or somebody that's an acquaintance that they don't know where to start having a conversation with you and I think it's it is that isn't it I think that sometimes people don't know where to start so they just don't or they don't know what to say so they don't say anything Mm. and I think that being on the receiving end of that as someone who's who's um, lost a loved one to suicide it, it can be really painful can't it and um, mm. I think that like you say it's I think be, because of the stigma and the taboo that's been around for so long associated with suicide I think for people um, you know normalizing that conversation we're not normalizing suicide as an option mm. we are mm. normalizing the conversation you know mm. we're normalizing having that conversation um, around suicide loss, around bereavement by suicide and around suicidal thoughts as well. And I think that's it, isn't it? I think as, as um, a bereaved person, you're already in the biggest traumatic, hurting situation that you, you would ever have probably experienced in your life. So for people then to avoid you or not to say anything to you, then actually that adds to the trauma and the hurt as well, because then they're avoiding you and you feel you know totally abandoned and you know sort of cast to one side in the sense that actually then that stigma feels like it's perpetuating you sort of almost feel they're avoiding you because of the reason why your loved one died rather than the fact that they're avoiding talking to you because they don't know what to say and I think I think it's hard because that person is probably hurting as well because they may have been associated because we know don't we that you know, around 125 people, I'm sure it's more than that, are affected by every suicide. So when you think about the people you meet, they're probably already affected by that suicide. So they're actually hurting themselves. And I I wonder sometimes whether it's about avoiding the conversation or whether it's avoiding being upset by the conversations that they're not sure what's going to come into that conversation. So maybe it's about that self-preservation as well but then what it does do is it perpetuates the fact that nobody talks about it and and people avoid um that actual question don't they families know it's a bereavement by suicide so actually if somebody says i believe 
your child or whoever died by suicide, you know, I want to offer my condolences. They're not actually going to hurt that person anymore because they already know Mm. why they died, don't they? And I think that's that's a really good point because suicide is such a taboo already and then being bereaved by suicide, like say family members, immediate family would know and external people, um, really hard having that conversation and people don't know what to say. But how, how do you think we can break that taboo and talk about it? I think conversations like this are, are helpful. I think, you know, putting out something like Hopecast, you know, will normalise the fact that it's it exists. You know, I think we're very lucky in the fact that there's a lot of positive media portrayal out there about talking about suicide, you know, thinking about all the great work that the three dads have already done about talking, you know, their their sort of mission is talk about suicide and then talk some more. And I sort of feel that that is, you know, a really important part of how we can break down that taboo, because if we don't talk about it, then all we're constantly doing is just hiding it under the carpet and we will then continue that stigma and taboo forever you know we 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 already know it should already have changed because you know it's been decriminalized so we know we should have been changing but if we actually start to talk about it even earlier you know if we talk about it with young people in primary schools you know we could talk about it in even younger ages I know on the back of my bereavement I've had opportunities to go into um, beavers and rainbows you know they're young people in uniformed organizations that we talked about suicide in a safe way and you know they that opened and created conversations in a different way they're not too young to understand and actually then they're that there are future generations that are going to grow up without the stigma attached to the suicide and have those more open conversations and maybe media portrayal as well you know on the television if we have a positive image in television programs you know rather than it always being portrayed in a very negative way then those that watch television are going to see it's not that sort of hidden away subject and hopefully you know we can change a whole you know world attitude um towards it as well like you say it's having those conversations and I think that with it being such a taboo and with there being so much stigma attached and that kind of silence really reinforcing that I think once you think about talking to younger people I think that can make people also feel quite uncomfortable can't it because I think a lot of the time you've got people trying to protect each other you've got people being afraid of of saying the wrong thing um and I think for lots of people they don't have any idea of kind of how to talk to to someone bereaved or affected by the loss of someone to suicide and like you mentioned earlier you know people saying the the wrong thing and being afraid of upsetting you during what is already the most difficult time for you you know mm-hmm. no no one's going to cause you um more upset by asking you how you are and talking about your bereavement um but actually is there a, an element of that um you know is there an element of people saying the the wrong thing have you um got any advice about what you'd kind of um, maybe refrain from saying or something that you, you know, you found helpful or you didn't find quite as helpful when someone asked you about your bereavement? Yeah, I mean, we we sort of like, you, you know, we, we did lose sort of friends along the way in the sense of, you know, they said things that were a bit too hurtful and we had to step back from 
those kind of conversations sort of thinking about you know in your most devastating moment people saying well it's okay you'll get over it and time's a great healer you know they're all cliche statements but not particularly helpful when you are plunged into you know a traumatic bereavement and the loss of a child and I think those were sort of challenging things to sort of think because you know I Personally, I don't think even coming into that 10th year since we lost Ben, I still don't think that grief is smaller and time, you know, has changed things, but not in the way that the grief is any smaller. I think our lives have changed around our grief and developed differently. So I don't actually think that time is a great healer because you've lost someone that you've loved. How are you ever going to get over a love so great, you know, that you you move on? and you know forget them people say you know you know it's been so many weeks so many months is it not time that you moved on why do you want to move on from somebody you know you're not going to always be in that acute traumatic phase of grief that does change definitely you know and you can become active and get involved in different things so you know life does move with the grief but the grief doesn't really get smaller so those are sort of unhelpful things that you think why would you want to move on why would you get over it they're sort of really quite unhelpful but we sort of like think that when people are saying I am sorry for your loss you know and um acknowledging that loss you know that's a nice thing to sort of say and share memories and share things that you remember about the person that's lost you know we loved it when people said oh do you remember when or I remember when or shared a kind of memory in line with I'm sorry um, you know, for what's happened kind of thing. We we had people saying things like, um, well, at least you've got another child. Um, that's That was one that was like quite unhelpful, really. At least at least you've got another child that, you know, you can you can sort of continue life with. And that was a real challenging thing because I would never sort of say to somebody, oh, which child would you like to live without from tomorrow? And, you know, you wouldn't expect anybody to make a choice or even just live without one of the children that they've had in their life for, for 14 years. So that was quite a, a challenging mm. um, sort of statement to respond to because at that point it feels quite hurt, very hurtful, that actually, because, you know, ours came as a pair, you know, as a set of twins. We, we, had, we had Ben and Sam and, you know, that was kind of, you know, what life had always been about. So to have... Mm the loss of one was you know devastating but I think even if I didn't have um you know a set of twins for somebody to say well at least you have another child would still be quite you know and I think that's a really important thing somebody external or somebody who knows how your son died or how you have been bereaved by suicide it's about respecting their boundaries and using the right language around suicide and talking about it safely to you I think that's that's mm. really important as well respecting your boundaries mm. I think that, I think that's the hard thing isn't it because again sort of like you, you know you don't always know what to say to people and I think you know sort of the offers of being there they are nice you know again and and you know like I, I'll be there for you or just let me know if there's anything I can do. They're okay as well, as long as that person is willing to then be there when you call on them kind of thing, you know, sort of the how are you, um, they are nice. And again, you know, don't always expect back 
that somebody will always respond I'm fine because usually that is the kind of thing that you say because I think there's never going to be a time frame that's long enough for somebody to sit and listen to you at that point you know and I think you acknowledge that and respect that as a bereaved person if somebody said to me how are you I might say I'm not having such a great day today but you know that's that's just today but again if they then said why you're not having a good day then you want them to be able to give you the time to listen to why that's not a good day because it's not it's not very helpful to start like say oh well um you know and then want need to dash off because that is a challenge, you know, like I say, I, I only offer help and a listening ear if I know I've got long enough to actually take on and hear that story, because there's nothing worse than feeling that somebody's checking the watch when they've asked you yeah. how you are. So I think as a bereaved person, you generally end up responding with, I'm fine. Um, so, it, you know, genuine offers of listening, you know, are, are good. So having that, that time set aside for someone to really check in with yeah. you properly. And I think as well, it's really interesting hearing you talk as somebody who has faced the most devastating loss, you know, losing your son to to suicide. Actually, I think for a lot of people um, in your position with that lived experience, I think the same with me, we spend a lot of time kind of trying to sort of reassure other people and, and it's us kind of in, in turn supporting them in kind mm. of, you know, making it making it feel okay um, for them. And, and I think touching on what you were, you were saying before, you actually um, said about people making statements like that. And I think that unfortunately um, for anyone bereaved or affected by suicide I think that it is um something that everybody has an opinion about and unfortunately some people think that it's okay to share those opinions when it's not always appropriate to do so and actually it can be really hurtful so it is thinking about um you know whether you are asking thoughtful questions or whether Mm. you're asking questions as a formality or whether actually you're just speaking in statements and giving an opinion about Mm. about that 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 person who yeah. who has died by suicide um you know I think it's um it feels um it feels like you you just want to protect that person's memory and I think for a lot of people I think um unfortunately they're defined by how they died and not how they lived because we had a whole life with this person before mm. They died, and I think yeah. that sometimes people can't can't get past that day. Yeah, I, and I'd, I'd probably agree with that as well. And again, sort of, I suppose because there is a stigma there, you always wonder what the reaction is going to be of people if you do share that. So sometimes you avoid sharing why, you know, and and those that know why know why, and and that's that's okay. And sometimes, you know, if you you know, sort of like we used to do um, a weekly trip to the um, supermarket for flowers to go on the grave. So we did that every week and somebody would be like, oh, they're very lucky, whoever's going to receive these flowers. And it's like, you know, sometimes you you, you sort of like, mm, I don't know whether you sort of call death lucky, but, you know, 
that's yeah. that's where they're going they're going on a grave and then it's like oh I'm sorry is it somebody close to you know so it opens a conversation which is great and we would often sort of like be determining whether it was safe to have that conversation you know and and talk about it like you say because you'd be thinking what if I now upset that person um you know with how he has died and we were invited to bereavement groups and again you know so if you end up in a bereavement group and you're talking about you know how your child died and it goes around the room and you, you're listening to other people's stories and you're thinking it's going to get to me and I'm going to be saying that my child killed themselves and their child has all been fighting for their life through illness and you're thinking how are they going to feel when I say my child died by suicide what is going to be their reaction because like you say everybody's got an opinion and I suppose some of it can be your own fear about what their response is going to be because usually as a brief parent there's some empathy about that but sometimes you're wondering will they sort of think that my child wasted their life so sometimes those conversations in a bereavement group I sat there thinking I don't think this is for me after I tried it out a few times because I wasn't sure that I could feel it or, or that I felt in the right place. I think it was only when I found a dedicated bereavement support group that actually you could go along and you never really truly had to say why you were there because everybody knew and people get it. Um, you know, and again, that sort of unhelpful opinions. Um, I suppose that was my fear because you've had opinions sort of put onto you. I think when you join a group that's for generic, say, child loss, you worry about other people's opinion because we know about historic um, stigma. So you're always wondering what's going to come. So you're always on the defensive and, you know, that you're always waiting. You're always waiting for it. So, you know, they, they can't, they sometimes not helpful um conversations but I think you know sort of that going and being able to remember somebody and share your story although it's a story without any story it's an ended story isn't it you know but I think if you can go and join people I mean my friends are great we still talk about Ben and he still pops up into conversations but their children are similar age but I love it when they say things like oh do you remember when we did this or do you remember when he did that or, you know, those kind of nice conversations. So it's nice that they still live on. But when you're talking to people that you don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because they, like you said, they don't know that person that you've lost. You can't describe that to somebody in a few seconds, can you? So you can't sort of say how amazing they were, that they weren't, you know, some, they weren't a naughty person. They weren't, you know, like a, a real pain in the bum or you know you're sort of like trying to sort of say they were an amazing person and da, 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 da. it is a really hard challenging sort of moment sometimes with people that you meet and you've got to connect quite quickly and share your story and sort of demonstrate the importance of it don't you and you know it, it, there, there's been challenging challenging times you know but on the whole generally people have been amazing and you know we we have a fabulous community that we live in and we've got a fabulous uniformed organization community that have been there for us plus our church community and just generally school their school friends you know have sort of remained connected and 
you know that that kind of thing so that's that's nice you know and they've you know they might have stepped back a little bit but they're still very much part of our our life and, and connections so you know we are lucky in that sense so maintaining those connections has been really important to you and mm. reflecting on what life was like and those really lovely memories that you're able to share it mm. sounds like that's been a real comfort to you to to be able to talk about all of those things and and happier times yeah I think they are definitely the kind of things that keep you going being able to share it and I think sort of you know times where you can um go out and give your lived experience talk to different groups to different people um and sharing kind of what your story is you know it doesn't have to be one of you know long-term illness it doesn't have to be one you know I mean our story is one of you know um happy up to you know that day nothing that we you know could have ever predicted there was no signs that we could see so sharing the lived experience but also like you say keeping connected with people that have been in their life and and knowing what they're doing you know it doesn't it doesn't upset us when we still see them and talk to them about what they're doing it just makes us sort of wonder about what our child would have been doing at that age I know we've already got a marker for that in the fact that you know we've still got um, Ben's twin you know to sort of have that kind of thing but it's nice to see what the friends are doing seeing how successful they are seeing how they're loving their lives and, and where that trajectory is taken um, them because they've been through a devastating loss as well you know and I'm sure they will have had lots of questions and lots of challenges along along the way because they were such um good friends and I think as well not just the you know the children the, the parents as well and you know family you know it's great to sort of get the odd picture through the post when somebody's been tidying a drawer up and it's like oh hey, we're sending you this because we came across it today and it made us smile or Facebook memories that come up people sort of like oh, I didn't know whether to share it for you but then that's nice as well because although you sort of have a moment of intake of breath because it's like oh gosh look he's on Facebook there it sort of takes you back to that day and it's sort of that happy memory you know it's not upset because it makes you sad it's sort of that memory that re allows you to remember that happiness so that's that's about that kind of you know if somebody feels that they've upset you because tears fall because you've seen something you know precious and treasured memories it's not hurt it's just like they're almost happy happy memory tears that you know you think oh somebody's taken that time to remember that you know so that is that's nice as well you know definitely say share the memories thinking about you they're thinking about Ben they're thinking about your family um, and wanting to remember him with love yeah I think the other thing as well which is really nice is if people remember you know birthdays or at Christmas and stuff like that so even you know like I say we're, we're coming down to our 10th sort of year and still getting like a little message in Christmas cards that says remembering Ben this Christmas or um, like birthdays you know they don't put it in Sam's card but they might send 
a, a non-descript kind of blank card that just says thinking of you today. You know, those kind of things or even on anniversaries, just getting the odd card or just a little message on Facebook or a text just say, you know, I know this will be a hard day, but just thinking about you. His grave gets flowers on from people that don't necessarily put a message on, but we know he's been thought about by somebody. We sort of know that there is a regular group of friends that put stuff on. The kindness in them and they want to remember Ben as well. And it's, it's, yeah. it shows real compassion and empathy. And it really yeah. is, it's lovely to hear. And I think that's really positive hearing what we should mm. say and what we should be doing when somebody's died by suicide. But what do you think we should refrain from saying to somebody? It might be external, it might be someone who's not seeing you, or they might see you out shopping or any any scenario like that. What do people refrain refrain from saying when it comes to suicide or someone who's been bereaved by suicide? I think sometimes it's like, um, you know, your life has to keep going, doesn't it? And, you know, occasionally people have said, oh, it looks like you've moved on and that, you know, everything's okay now. And it's like sometimes you've got to, you know, we talk about wearing a mask and getting on with day-to-day stuff. You know, it's essential sometimes to to go shopping or to do something. Um, and, you know, we haven't got over it. We're just having to do something that, um, you know, is an essential part of life. So sometimes saying, oh, you look like you, you've got over it and that, you know, you've moved on. They are, you know, really challenging sentences still I think you know that is quite unhelpful or even you know it's sort of it's been so many months years whatever you know um it must be time to move on you know sort of if you're still sad or you're still struggling because again you know I think grief creeps up on you when you least expect it as I say I think your life grows around that grief and you can be going along your day-to-day life and sometimes it just hits you and it doesn't have to be anything specific sometimes it can just come into your focus it I mean sometimes I thought I sort of think I see the kids walk in school and think oh gosh you know that's one of my last memories of sort of them walking to school before he went on holiday or you know, you might hear a bit of music. So I think, you know, sort of putting a time frame on it when you're having a conversation with people, you know, it's been this number of years, months, whatever, is it not time to move on? You know, if you're upset, um, you know, conversation in church one day when um, one of the songs that was being sung was something they used to sing in the school assembly and somebody turned to me when there's tears, just, I just thought it was so nice to hear the kids singing. And somebody said, oh gosh, we're all over Ben now why are you still upset? And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll never be over him, um, you know, and this was just sort of a, a moment where I thought that is, it was so lovely to hear the kids singing. It took me back to sitting in a school assembly where they they would have been sitting and singing that same song. So I think sort of this expectation to move on, to get over it, um, that it's been a long, a long time. So surely... You shouldn't still be grieving. So I don't think, you know, like I said, I don't think there's a time frame um, to grieve in it, you know, I think. And, and other things were things like, well, at least you had, at least you had 14 years of his life. At least you had 14 years. So I didn't just want 14 years. I wanted, I wanted more. And, you know, it's sort of how do you respond to, to those kind of things when you just want to be like, 
you know, screaming and shouting that you want more. How do you nicely say to somebody? That's the hard bit, isn't it? You know, sort of holding. You know, I'm, I'm a very kind person and I would never have said anything back that would hurt them. But like inside you internalising how they think your grief should have moved on when they've never experienced um, that. But those that were sort of were still here for you, you know, kind of, you know, it, it's like it feels nondescript. And they often said, you know, it, it doesn't feel like enough. Um, you know, some of our friends said, we won't insult you by saying we know how you feel because we can't because we haven't lost anybody. But they still sort of say, how are you? You know, and you know, what kind of a week have you had or that kind, you know, that kind of thing. But the, the sort of expectation to move on is is a challenge as a, a bereaved person because, you know, you, you don't. But then other people have said to me, like, how how are you as you are? You know, when do I get to your stage? And my stage might be that I manage me as I am and I look like this today, but maybe I don't look like that every day. But, you know, you everybody's individual and everybody moves differently, don't they? And everybody grieves differently. But sometimes some of us can be more... And I'm not saying I'm always composed and everything, but sometimes we can be the person we need to be at the time we need to be it. And then, you know, back behind the closed doors, that kind of quiet moment to yourself. Sometimes maybe we do portray an image of having moved on and maybe that's what creates that conversation. But I think, you know, it, it's not it's not about moving on, is it really? It's it's about living with a new normal. Mm. I think that lots of people, you know, I think the way that we grieve in public and the way that we grieve in private is sometimes very different. And for those who see us in public, they can make a, a sweeping assumption of, of how they think we are based on mm. on, on how they, they see us that day, as you say. But having somebody who has your lived experience being able to say actually we do all grieve differently and it's going with that and there is no linear um pathway unfortunately to to grief and and I think it's this is like you say really difficult conversation and actually what I've heard from you throughout is you having to navigate those difficult conversations in supermarkets in your everyday life because actually for you it doesn't leave you Mm. so for people speaking to to those bereaved by suicide it could be a sweeping statement that they're making in the supermarket or an opinion that they're giving you you know while you're trying to work or or do something else but actually for you um it 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 could be a day where you're just trying to get through and you're trying Mm. to manage Mm. um I think that recognizing actually that it was really helpful for you to to speak to others with that shared experience so although you could be in a a group of those um who have been bereaved and lost a loved one I think that it is very different isn't it when you lose somebody to suicide Mm. why do you do you think that is do you think that it is because it, it it comes with so many opinions and so so much stigma and taboo attached to it yeah, I think I think it probably is that. And I think, you know, until until you are in that 
that kind of grief moment and having been touched by suicide, I don't think you truly um, understand it and possibly my own naivety and my own sort of, you know, prior experience, you know, as, as a nurse and having worked for the NHS for so many years and not even knowing the extent of suicide, you know, myself in the, in those situations. And maybe, you know, I'd maybe in my old life, I might have said things that I thought were helpful and maybe they weren't and sort of reflecting back on that. And I think it is very unique. And I, I sort of feel it is around the fact that, you know, it, it's life at their own hand, kind of. It, it's gone with their own decision making process and maybe that's the bit that feels harder and you know sometimes as a, a you know as a bereaved bereaved by suicide person in a family or you know in a community maybe that bit of not knowing why or the fact that we didn't get reached out to and sort of feel you know almost responsible as a, you know, as a parent, you feel very responsible for that as well. So I think what comes with um, suicide grief is also a lot of guilt yeah. um, that we didn't see that hurt and that pain where, wherever it was, wherever it was hidden, that, you know, the closeness that we had as, as loved ones, you know, that, you know, where, where was it hidden? What didn't we see? You know, I'm a qualified nurse and, you know, that, that guilt will live with me forever that I didn't notice something, but also that I didn't know the extent of, of that. And I think that's sort of some of the things that as bereaved parents or bereaved other, you know, bereaved other family members that you don't realise the extent of suicide loss until you are in it. But also then that kind of um, taboo stigma, and the difference of the trauma, uh, you know, and it, you know, it can be a very traumatic loss for some people, dependent, can't it? That then it is difficult to have that conversation in a, you know, a generic bereavement support environment that you are holding back because you don't want to be judged, I suppose, as a parent um, or a, a, a loved person family member you don't want to feel judged but that's maybe the stigma and the taboo that's been layered onto us throughout life mm. uh, that then holds us back and you know what we expect from others you know like I say that was sort of my anxiety that somebody would judge me as a parent if if I actually shared that and when I shared it yeah they were sad for me but I, you know I was probably at that point where I was thinking I don't know whether I want to hear what they're about to say to me kind mm. of thing so then I did have that avoidance uh, you know I was invited several times to you know a particular place and uh, I declined so many times before I went and when I did go I was so worried about what somebody might think of him and maybe protecting their memory as well because they are your loved one you don't want anybody to think bad of them in the sense that you know they got to such a you know painful place in their life that they saw no other option mm. but as a parent how can you you know sometimes you feel how could I let that happen you know you have to work through those tangible solutions and answers and you know you beat yourself up enough that you, you don't want anybody else to do that for you. So maybe that taboo and stigma is what sort of creates that weight. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more conversations we have and the more normal 
that loss is. I mean, you know, when I when I started my nurse training, we didn't talk about cancer. We didn't say cancer. We used to call it the big C. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, what we're doing and breaking down that stigma and having these open conversations with clarity and detail, that that will change. You know, I wouldn't want it to take all those years. But, you know, if we talk about suicide in the same way and we, we use it like a word, you know, a, a word that's normal in everybody's conversations, then hopefully it won't feel so bad to lose somebody that way. Mm. Yeah, and you, you do such an amazing job, Sarah, with the work you do at Papyrus as a trustee and breaking yeah. that taboo and breaking that stigma surrounding suicide, getting people talking about suicide. It's invaluable to break that conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today and talking about mm, this. It's been really, really important. And if you would mind, we've had a few questions from listeners as a segment of the podcast where if you've had the chance to ask us questions and as guests and host, it'd be great for you to answer, help answer these questions if, that, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. One question we had on social media. I've recently lost someone close to me um, with suicide. I'm scared to say to people, I've lost someone by suicide recently. When they've asked, I'm fearing the question, how did my loved one die? What should I say? I think as we were just saying about breaking down that stigma and that that taboo, sort of having a a, a sort of a prepared response as a, a as a, a loved one. I think being open um, about that loss, and we sort of said, you know, we we lost our we lost our child to suicide because we truly believe that's that's what we did do. We lost lost our child, and I think it, it is a way. And I think maybe. It's a it's a softer set of words to use, um, and maybe it takes away that harshness, that that stigma, and that taboo by using softer wording. So we used to say we lost we lost our child's suicide, and we were quite open about it. And we were, you know, that expectation of of response, and and probably that kind of you know that hopeful connection back. Um, but I I definitely would use those words. You know, we lost our child or lost our you know, brother, father, whoever to to suicide because, you know, we're opening up a conversation again. Would you say that as well, Helen, on, on Hope Plan, if you've experienced calls like that and responses like that, would you say that's the right way to, if you're, you're fearing having that, telling people somebody died by suicide? Yeah, I think it's, like like Sarah said, you're protecting your, love, your loved one's memory. And I think that sometimes when you do say that you've lost somebody to suicide it naturally evokes some questions but sometimes people ask those questions without thinking and so they may ask how they died but being told that they've been they've died by suicide isn't quite enough so they might ask again sort of how but actually we have a responsibility to share our stories safely Mm-hmm. And so while we do welcome that conversation around um, suicide, we also have to be mindful that we don't know what the person, you know, is experiencing who we're talking to. And also, I think there's an element of protecting ourselves as well. And actually, we need um, ownership of the information that we're sharing about the the person that, that we've lost. And so I think, like Sarah said, it's having it's being prepared actually that sometimes people will ask difficult questions and having control over that conversation and feeling comfortable to say that yes we did lose 
um, our loved one to suicide, but knowing that that is okay um, and that is enough, mm-hmm. actually, because, like I say, we have a responsibility to share our experiences safely, but also we do have to to protect ourselves in that as well. Just take a few seconds to think about the questions that they're about to ask or the information that they're about to share. It is just having a little bit of consideration, isn't it? Um, and I think sometimes that consideration does come when when you've got got your own experience because you've been on the receiving end of those difficult questions and those opinions and people saying things without without thinking. So I think that it's really important, you know, what you're saying in that you set some time aside. Um, but also after you shared your experience and spent some time talking about your bereavement you also set some time aside for yourself it's just being mindful of having that time because I think that sometimes people um do channel their bereavement in different ways and they like to be productive and they like to channel it in supporting others but I think it can really take it out of you as well so it, it's not only as I say sharing safely for the person who you're possibly supporting but it's sharing safely for yourself as well that was a really lovely conversation we had with Sarah. It was quite emotional in parts as well, hearing a story and what she's been through. And unfortunately, the wrong things that people have said to her. I think what's incredible, though, is that Sarah was so willing to share um, so honestly with us and use her experience of things that might have not been. I think what was really amazing was that Sarah was so willing to openly share about the loss of um, her son Ben to suicide and how difficult some of those conversations have been while she she was certainly in those those early stages of grief but but beyond that as well I think what was really interesting to hear was that actually she found some support in bereavement groups but what she recognized that she needed was to to experience that peer-to-peer support from people who had been bereaved by suicide in the same way as her. But I think that peer support of losing your child to suicide or losing a parent to suicide, it's a different type of grief, grief, if you will. It's that they understand those emotions that come with suicide and that type of loss. And when she said she found that that group that was that that were parents who've lost children to suicide, it she felt she could be a bit more honest than. She didn't need to explain herself or what she's been through. Yeah, I think it was so good to hear that um, being part of of a group of people that had also been bereaved by suicide, there was a lot of it that she didn't need to navigate before talking about her own experiences, before talking about her own experience. Yeah. Um, But I, I think that it was really interesting to hear how she recognises that important part of of talking about her lived experience and the importance of being able to share safely but also taking care of herself hearing about how she is a trustee for papyrus and just the incredible work that that she continues to do in supporting those bereaved by suicide but also in suicide prevention as well Absolutely. And she's a real pillar of strength. And she's for people who are unfortunately at the start of that that grief journey with suicide. And even though the grief doesn't go away for Sarah, it's still very much there. But she's 10 years on, you can look at her and think 
she, her coping mechanisms, her honesty, and she's honest about having a really bad day and having days where it just feels overwhelming and consuming. But she talks about the trauma slowly shifts, but the grief process, like she said, it. I, I'm honest, I'll have my bad days, I'll have my moments, but then she also said she's she like she wants to keep Ben's memory alive, and I think that that was a really nice thing to hear as well. If she wants people to still talk about him and his friends yeah. from school, talk about where they're up to, because. I think some people, I mean, that's one I think I learned. We don't want to talk about other people's children because you don't want to make them feel worse. And, you know, my, my child's not here anymore. But having that conversation saying, oh, they're doing really well. Sarah, can, she can imagine Ben being with them in a way, which I thought was really nice. Because she she is experiencing the most devastating grief that anybody, I think, could feel. You know, she she's lost her, her son, her... Her son was a twin, so she was supporting her family through the most devastating loss. But actually what, what she told us was that she could also appreciate other people's joy as mm. well as experiencing her, her own bereavement. And that was just lovely to hear. Um, like she said, grief is so individual and it's helping other people um, to navigate those really early stages of grief when things do feel as raw as, as they do. Um, but she's, uh, you know, she she was able to really channel that grief and, and grow around that grief, as she said, you know, that, that grief doesn't change, but she's learned to adapt. And it is that positive adaptation in supporting others through their bereavement as well. Absolutely. And I think positively, she, still, she speaks so highly of papyrus in Hopeline and even someone down the line can ring Hopeline up and get that support and speak, you know, do debrief and talk about how they're feeling. Mm. Even somebody, if, if you're worried about talking up to someone who's been bereaved by suicide, speaking to Hopeline can really make you feel this is how you, how you can talk to them and what you can do. I think that was, that's a really important thing to mention as well. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, um, it was Sarah's recognition that, even though she wants to be able to support, she's not always the most appropriate person in that moment to provide that support. So what she does is she does share the details of Hopeline UK so that people are able to to get the support that that they need. But it doesn't doesn't always mean that you have to be solely responsible for, for providing that. And so sharing our details can be all of the support that you are able to offer at that time and that's okay you've got to look after you it's, it's going back to self-care isn't it it's about that emotional boundary some days you don't want to talk about it you don't want to relive what's happened so by passing hope lines details on it's still keeping that conversation of suicide go speak to these trained specialists who are fantastic and it it's keeping that conversation going it is it is, but it was. It's just so interesting to to you know hear Sarah's thoughts and and her listen to her her experience of of losing Ben. Um, it was such a privilege to spend some time with her and it and having you on board as well, Helen. To a part of this episode, it's been fantastic having you, and thank you so much for you and to Sarah for joining us for this episode. I think you've been fantastic. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to share the conversation with us. And, and thank you to everybody for taking the time to listen to this month's Hopecast. 
And it's really important as well with the work that you do on Hopeline to keep that conversation of suicide going after this episode, after Suicide Survivors Lost Day. Suicide happens every day and it's people who live with suicide. It, it doesn't stop here. So it's really important to keep that conversation going in a safe way. And Hopeline's always there as well, Hopeline UK. It is. And there's absolutely tons of information on our um, website, which is papyrus-uk.org.